0: and welcome to A Path to Redemption, the podcast. My name is Daniel Arona, and just remember this simple truth. The Father loves you, Jesus loves you, and the Holy Spirit loves you. Look, I hope that you've had a great week. Once again, I hope that you've had time to spend with the Lord in prayer and also in his scripture, because once again, I, I just can't stress it enough about how important it is that we are doing that on a regular basis, that we are staying as intimate with the Lord as we possibly can, because the the times are coming, and if you read the news or you read certain things that are happening, particularly in the Middle East, or even with digital ID and... Uh, the central bank digital currency things that are coming on, it's important for us to see how all of that is lining up right now. And and we have got to stay as close to the Lord as we possibly can. Make sure that you're fostering your relationship. Make sure that you're doing the things, the basics, and staying faithful to the Lord over this time. It's really, really, really important, as I truly, truly believe that he is going to come back for his saints here soon in the rapture, and that I think we're – we're, frankly, probably a, just a few years away, so um, we will see, um, but at the end of the day, foster the relationship that you have with the Lord. Um, so this week, we're going to talk uh, about something a little bit different. Last week, we kind of talked about the, the Heavenly Host, and I kind of laid out about the 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 Divine Council, if you will, and, and how there were other entities there that... And, and a lot of this is setting up because it, Christ is the stumbling block right and I think it's important for us to understand that is that whenever people believe in God people can have God you know and they can they can say that but when it comes to Christ there's always a hold up of with Christ and that's because of these other entities that have tried to lay claim to the world and even though it Christ when he came and did his work on the cross that actually solidified him as king and priest and after the order of Melchizedek as we've talked about before but this week, I want to kind of continue on with that, but I want to talk about how Christ went on the offense while he was here on this earth. And it's really important that we understand this because he declared the end from the beginning, he declared his victory while he walked on this earth. He did it both for the first of uh, his first coming and also his second coming. And we're, we're going to talk a lot about this. Um, if you have not gone back and listened to Genesis 6, part 1 and 2, um, I think that's a, an important part of this as well um, because. It's a, we're going to tie into a lot of the, the teachings that have been going on over the past season. So, if you haven't had a chance to go back and listen to Season Plot 5, I, I recommend that you do that now before listening to this one. But, before we get started, just remember, all of our scripture comes from the New King James Version of the Bible. If you have a copy of a New King James Bible, um, feel free to drop me a note at ohio at gmail.com. I'm more than happy to get one into your hands. Also, my book is out, Grace Abounds. If you'd like a copy of that, feel, again, feel free to drop me a note at path to Redemption ohio at gmail.com and I am more than happy to get one into your hands as well so with that let's uh, go ahead and get started so our main scripture comes from Matthew 16. Uh, Thirteen through twenty, and it says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for your flesh and blood is not revealed as to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, but the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom, and whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. So here is where the profession of Jesus Christ as the son of the living God by Peter sets up the church. Jesus in verse 15 asks the same question that he asks of all of us. Who do you say I am? You know, Peter responds plainly that Jesus Christ is, Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. You see, we have to respond the exact same way. And we have to respond that Jesus is the Christ and that ultimately he is the Lord of our lives, And then, you know, when we respond that way in the face of our trials and the tribulations, it's the confession of that that brought the next part. When he said, Jesus answered and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, this is the first mention in the New Testament of the church and it is on that rock that it will be built. It is on the confession of who Jesus Christ is that the church is built and that allows it to anchor and to stand firm. And I think it's important here because we oftentimes we think of christ and we know about his loving nature and we know about who he is and and how he loves us and that he came and died on the cross but sometimes we forget his divinity And we forget the fact that he is the son of the living God, that he went to be the propitiation of our sins. He went on that cross, took our sin upon him, but that ultimately he is still the son of the living God who has power, who is the ultimate ruler of this world, and who is that second Adam to which everything will be reconciled back to. And I think that's important because it's on this confession on this simple fact that all of us all of our salvation rests and believes on the fact that he is the Christ that he came and died for our sins and that he rose again on the third day. Matthew 7:24 through 27 says this, therefore whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall. For it Was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So on this rock, again, which is the confession of who Christ is, is where the church is built. There's another part here that says the gates of hell will not prevail against it, meaning that the gates of hell will not prevail over the church. And I find this scripture really interesting. And the reason I find it interesting is because. Because he specifically says the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. But... Gates don't attack anyone, right? When you think about that, I mean, what are gates used for? Gates are used to open and close, to secure an area, to secure the place and really either keep people in or keep people out one way or the other. That's really the purpose of gates. Gates aren't really there. You don't use gates to attack. You use some other type of weapon. You use some other type of offensive uh, offensive type of weapon to do that. So in order to understand what Jesus is specifically talking about here, we have to understand Caesarea Philippi and what the, the point of it was and what was happening. Some key points about Caesarea Philippi is that this was located at the foot of Mount Hermon. Okay, again, if you remember from the, the Genesis 6, part 1 and part 2, Mount Hermon is where it's believed that the angels came down, they left their original estate, descended upon Mount Hermon, and then began to take women as their wives and then created the race of giants, the Nephilim, right? Now, the second part here is that there was a natural site in Josephus's time that 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 had a massive cave and a pit that was full of water. That many considered to be bottomless. They would take cords and all these other things to try and go down and see how deep that water was and they could not figure it out because it was so deep. The pagans at that time believed that this cave was where their fertility gods went during winter and that the cave was a gateway to the underworld or hell. So in the pagan belief, particularly Baal would leave the earth he would go into the underworld and then ultimately that's what caused winter to come that's why he couldn't plant anything during winter all those things. So what they would do in order to entice him back for spring, they would leave presents. They would offer things to him. You know, they would do a whole host of things to bring them back. Many would even do sexually deviant rituals to bring back their gods, including bestiality. But I think that's important here too, right? So you literally have where the people believe that that Baal would descend down into the pit, into the gates of the underworld, and then ultimately come back out during spring. The other thing here is that it was originally called and worshipped as Baal Hermon. In fact, this is mentioned in Joshua about the Hivites that li- that lived in that particular area. And then close to here in Dan, Jeroboam set up his calves for worship in the northern kingdom. So we have a picture here of the false worship of all of those things that were happening there um, when Jeroboam uh, became the king of the northern kingdom. And then ultimately during the time of Christ, it was later remade a sanctuary for, to the god of Pan, who was the god of the wild for the Greeks and the Romans. So when Jesus declared his divinity before his disciples, he didn't just do it at any place. See, you have to understand that everything that our God does, everything that Christ did in the the four Gospels, there was a purpose to it. There is a plan. There's a backstory behind it, if you will. And he didn't just declare his divinity in any one place. He literally declared it at the place where Baal was worshipped. He declared it before the host of the false gods that the Romans built the complex for. And most importantly, he declared it while standing at the very gate of hell according to these pagan beliefs you see jesus was not passive about his divinity but rather did this at the very gates of hell at the very gates of satan and baal and the ashtoreths to show them that he that they would not then or ever prevail over his church and those that declared and believed his divinity would be overcomers over all that they were Hallelujah, how amazing is that? God declared his divinity right there. And that's amazing to think about. And what it was it? Because he knew that he was going to go to the cross. And if you go through the rest of that chapter in Matthew 18, or Matthew 16, he you, Peter later gets rebuked because he says, No, Jesus, you're not going to go and, and die and do all these things. But what he was doing was he was declaring his victory because he knew he was going on the cross. He knew that he was going to die. He knew that he was going to be resurrected on the third day. He knew that he was taking the keys to death and hell with him. And he was declaring victory on Satan's front porch, basically saying, look, I'm going to win. I have everything that's going to happen and I'm going to declare it right now. How amazing is all of that? You see, Jesus in the heart of it all declared that we would not be overtaken by any type of evil spirit or the devil himself and further embarrass them by giving us the keys to the kingdom, the authority over these spirits. It's amazing to think about that. Is that when God, when Jesus Christ declared his divinity, he did it on Satan's porch and he said, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. So not only did he declare his victory at that moment in time saying, no, I am the Christ. I am the son of the living God. And by the way, Satan and Baal, you're going to have to kneel down and worship me in that area, in that place. And by the way, I'm going to give these keys to my church because they are going to overcome you just as I do did and that is an amazing and wonderful thing but it gets even better Here, Because in Matthew 17, the very next chapter, 1 through 9, says this. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, arise and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them saying, tell the vision to no one, Until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. Now, there is some debate about which mountain that Jesus was transfigured on, and we're going to walk through some of this. Most believe it was Mount Tabor, but I have some issues with that here, and I'm going to walk you through that. The first one is that Caesarea Philippi was 40 miles north of Mount Tabor. After the transfiguration, we see Christ in Capernaum, which is about 15 to 20 miles south of Caesarea Philippi. Why would Jesus go 40 miles south? just to come back 15 to 20 miles. That doesn't make any sense. Matthew 17, 22 through 24 says, Now while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And the third day he will be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. When they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? So we see them here later in that same chapter in Capernaum. Galilee was the region." But Mount Tabor is at the southern portion of Galilee, while Capernaum is at the northern part. So you see, Matthew is very clear here that this was a high mountain. And I have some issues here because Mount Tabor is 1,886 feet tall. This is small compared to other mountains in Israel, particularly the northern part. See, Mount Gerizim is 2,849 feet. Mount Ebal is 3,077 feet. And there's some good stories in Joshua around Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. But Mount Hermon is 9,232 feet. Now, Luke says that Jesus took them up the mountain, implying that they were at the base before. In Luke 9, 28, it says, now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up the mountain to pray. Even in the original Greek, it is an article, the mountain. So with all of that being laid out, okay, I truly believe that the Mount of Transfiguration occurred on Mount Hermon where at the base was the gates of hell. And I think that there's a whole bunch of reasons for that, like I've just laid out. And in fact, there's even some archaeological evidence that came out here in the past couple of years that say it might have been during Jesus' time that Mount Tabor was actually occupied um, by by Romans at that point in time. Christ was never going to show his glory as the Godhead. To anyone other than Peter, James, and John. He wasn't going to do that in the open. That was a private and secret thing just for those three. Now, the other thing here is that there were so many temples... And gods worshipped through this mountain, but I also think there is another key. While not considered canon, again, the Book of Enoch says that it was upon this mountain that the sons of God came down to earth. Again, this is shown in Genesis 6, as we've discussed, and in Jude. Jude 1:6 says, "And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day." Genesis 6:4 says, "There were giants on the earth in those days, and Afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. So if this is true, if it's true that when the angels came down, they came down on Mount Hermon, Christ then declared his divi- divinity at the very gates of hell down in Caesarea Philippi, which were prepared for Satan and his angels, and then displayed his Godhead in the transfiguration as the glorified Christ. At the very sight of the fall of the angels in the second rebellion. Think about that for a second. He declared his divinity at the very base of the mountain and said, basically said, Satan, I'm going to overcome you. And in fact, I'm going to give the keys to the kingdom, to my church, so that they can overcome you too. And that's why we have power to tread over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy is because of what Christ did and because of his divinity, right? And those keys have been given to us. But the Mount of Transfiguration is different because God, Jesus Christ was the declaring his godhead to the fallen angels who are trapped underneath in tartarus right now and they're trapped down there in chains to be released and then at the end in the tribulation for 120 days now why is that so important because when he declares his godhead on the mount of transfiguration at the very spot that these fallen angels came down to basically take away the seed of woman to go ahead and tamper with that seed so that Christ could never come when he does that he basically says to them you are going to fall down and worship me because I am Christ is what he is saying right there he says that he is Christ he is the second portion of the Godhead and that even when they fell and even in their rebellion they are going to come and they are going to have to kneel at his feet and worship him when he comes in his second coming not as the suffering servant but as the king of kings and the Lord. Lord of Lords and and all glory and honor will be given to him as the king of this world because that is who he is and we are going to see that happen during the millennial reign. But it is at that time that they will kneel to him and they will worship him even though he declared it on the Mount of Transfiguration. It is going to come to pass and then all the rebellions that happened from Lucifer to the fallen angels to mankind will then have been dealt with and have been been judged according to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Hallelujah! You see, there are no coincidences with God, and especially in the limited time that Christ had here on this earth. But there is a point here. Christ declared His divinity at the very gates of hell, and declared His victory before He went on that cross. And in, in the very next thing that we see, He goes right up to where the fallen angels fell, and He, he and shows them. Who he really is and proves to them that they're going to bow down to him as the glorified Christ as the high priest after the order of Melchizedek during the millennial kingdom. Hallelujah! How amazing is that? And why is this so important? It's because we've got to understand that even though, and as we go through this study, and as we go through and look at at some of these other entities that are out there, and some of these other things that are happening, as we go through all of this, we're going to have to understand here that God is still God, and that Christ is still the King of Kings, and still the Lord of Lords, and that from the very beginning, victory has been given to His church. Victory has been given to anyone that calls upon the name of the Lord, because whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's all it takes. Salvation is all humbling yourself and doing the things that God asks us to do. That's why I start every single podcast with, you know, make sure that you're doing the basics. Make sure that you're praying. Make sure that you're reading your Bible. Make sure you're staying as close to him as you possibly can, because you have to. You have to, particularly at this moment in time. The thing is that all of us are going through right now, Right now, ...are all temporary. It is Christ that is eternal. The only thing, and I am really mean the only thing that can stop us... ...is ourselves and our flesh. You see, the devil can't do anything. His demons can't do anything. They can't do anything. Why? Because we've already been given victory and the keys to the kingdom... ...by Jesus Christ. But through his death and resurrection... ...because of that cross... ...because of all the things that he did while he was here on this earth. And you know, all we have to do... ...is lay ourselves on that altar... Give ourselves back to Christ and allow him to clean us up as our high priest. Cut out the parts that need to be cut out and burned and offered up. It is his good pleasure to do this for us so that he can present us faultless to his Father. So look, I know all of us are going through things, and if you're listening to the sound of my voice and you're listening to this podcast, I can tell you right now that you're probably in a trial, you're probably in a tribulation, there's probably some area of your life that things just aren't going well. And the reason that's happening is because God is trying to to get his true church ready to go. Trying to get them to where they can trust him, trying to get them to where we can have the faith to believe in him, that as things get worse and as things get bad that we can still trust him and fall back on him if we're not willing to trust him now when we have the ability to preach and teach and have that freedom particularly in, in the United States then we will never do it when all of that is taken away and stripped away but here's the thing is that if you're in that situation don't lose hope God declared his divinity from before he ever went to the cross he declared his victory on Mount Hermon before he's even come back as the glorified Christ. That's the type of God we serve, not one that is peasant not one that is passive, not one that falls back and sits on the waysides and waits to see how things are going to happen no, one that says the victory is yours, one that says it's already won, all you have to do is trust him and rest in him if you rest in him and rest in the things that he has for you, you will see it come to pass in due time weeping may endure for a night but joy comes in the morning we've got to understand that Jesus is coming, his his kingdom is going to be set up, all of these things are going to come to pass. And the sooner that we understand that, the better off that we will be and the more that we will want to be transformed into him. So the trials and tribulations are to kill your flesh. That's the whole purpose and to bring you closer to Jesus Christ. And that is our purpose to stay as close to him as he possibly can and make sure that he can use us. Amen. Look, I hope you got something out of this. There's a, there's a lot to cover. There's a lot of revelation in there. And I hope that you understand it. Because Christ went on the offense. He declared his divinity at the gates of hell. He, he declared his victory on the very doorstep of, of when the, where the fallen angels came and entered into this earth. Look, I know I've said that time is short, and I truly believe that. I truly believe that Jesus is coming back. I believe that he's coming back, and I believe that he's going to take up his church, and that tribulation is coming. And that's going to be the worst thing that this world has ever seen. And we've talked about it as, you know, a a double portion of iniquity. We've talked about as it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. And look, I don't want people that I know and love to have to go through that. But Jesus said very, very plainly that we need to pray and seek him to to, to make sure that we are accounted worthy to escape these things that are coming. So look, I hope this helps you. I hope this gives you hope. Because, look, the trials and the tribulations, they're temporary here. But at the end of the day, Jesus Christ is eternal and what we do for him matters. I don't want him to to say, you know, well done, good and faithful one. Enter in, you know, to your rest. But, but I had so much more for you that you could have done. I don't want that. I don't want to hear that. I struggle with that. I struggle. Am I doing enough? Am I doing enough with the podcast? Am I doing enough at church? Am I writing enough? Am I studying enough? I struggle with that. I really, really do. And you can ask my wife. I read constantly. I'm constantly doing things. But at the end of the day, I wonder, should I be doing more? And frankly, it's it's my issue that I have to get with. I'm confessing my faults here. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what we do for him is what's going to matter and what's going to last. So look, take hope in this, right? And take hope in the fact that God and Jesus Christ declared their divinity and their victory before it even happened. Because guess what? It's already been given to us. All we have to do is walk through it and trust him. Amen. Look, I hope you got something out of it. Again, if you have any questions, feel free to drop me a note at pathtoredemptionohio at gmail.com. I am more than happy to help. But until next time, just remember this simple truth. The Father loves you. Jesus loves you and the Holy Spirit loves you. God bless.